0: This sermon was preached at University Park Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. For more information about UPBC, visit upbchouston.org. Your listed text is Exodus 19 and 20, um, but we're going to be working our way throughout the entire scriptures today. I uh, will confess to you, this sermon wanted to be four different sermons during my uh, preparation. I've tried to limit it to at least to no more than two, uh, but hopefully... That means we won't go super long because uh, we actually want to have a quorum for our meeting afterwards. Um, but we will, uh, you can turn to Exodus 19 if you want to. We're going to be spending some time there early on, uh, but we will really be going through uh, some some in Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Psalms, Matthew, John, and landing in Hebrews, Lord willing, before lunchtime. So uh, we have some work today, but... My prayer is that it
1: is fruitful. Let's pray before we get started. My father, I am in this moment with my brothers and sisters feeling very unequal to the task,
0: but you are strong and you are good. And your word is powerful. So I pray that as we open your word together, as we consider your faithfulness in being a God who not only exists, but who speaks and reveals himself to men and who calls men to himself. I pray that you would be loud and clear today. We pray this in Jesus' name,
1: amen. we're in for it okay
0: so there is an old parable told of blind men who encounter an elephant one feels the trunk and says oh this creature is is very much like a snake and then the second man feels the elephant's tusk and he says no 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 this creature is very much like a spear the third grabs the elephant's thin tail and says no this creature is like a rope the fourth feels the elephant's broad side and says, no, 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 this creature is very much like a wall. Each man has a bit of experience, but none are able to ascertain the truth. Now, over the years, philosophers have tried to argue that this is how it is with religion, that various religions have pieces of the truth but never see the truth as a whole, each uh, grasping some small piece but not fully understanding it. But as one wise Christian theologian noted, It's a different story entirely if the elephant can speak, because the elephant then will tell you exactly what he is. The fundamental reality of the Christian faith is not only that God exists, as we considered last week, but that he speaks. We're not blindly grasping at spiritual truth and doing our best to figure it out. God has spoken. He has shown himself to us. He has told us who he is from the very beginning of time. Now, from the outset, I will lay my cards out on the table this morning. I'm going to proceed based on the presumption that the Bible is true, that it is trustworthy, that is perfectly without error in its original manuscripts, and it is consistent and has been preserved by God over thousands of years through the efforts of his servants. The word we have is the word he gave. Now, if you don't believe any part of that, that's fine. We can direct you to resources to address those questions about authorship or translation or interpretation, which have been labored over by faithful theologians for centuries. Even if you've seen a really convincing meme on the atheist subreddit about how the Bible is fake, let me assure you with absolute certainty that every one of those objections have been addressed many, many times throughout church history. So my goal this morning is not to convince you of the trustworthiness or the infallibility of the scriptures. Others have done that very superbly. My job this morning is to take you to the foot of a mountain where your God is speaking in a voice more terrible than you may be able to bear. And then to point you to the mediator who stands in your place and will tell you what to do. My appeal to you is this. Today, If you hear his voice,
1: do not harden your heart.
0: God speaks. He's done so from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness, and he called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning, the first day. And so began the creation of the world. God spoke and was... The separation of the expanse of sky from earth, the gathering of the waters, create dry land and vegetation, the stars and planets in their far-flung orbits, the flying creatures and the swimming creatures and the crawling creatures, all of these God spoke into existence. God formed the man and woman. He breathed his life into them and they spoke and God spoke with them. He gave them instructions and a mission. He walked with them. He spoke to them as loyal subjects, as his earthbound image bearers, as his friends. But then there came another voice. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman listened to the serpent's voice. She said that if we eat the fruit or touch it, we will surely die. And the serpent said, you you shall not surely die.
1: God's lying to you.
0: All of the heartache and destruction that exists in the history of mankind stems as a consequence from listening to the wrong voice. The woman heeded the voice of the deceiver and then echoed that voice to her husband, who heeded her voice instead of God's. So God spoke again, this time a curse, a curse upon the serpent, a curse upon the land, a deadly consequence upon the woman and the man, and yet a promise that a curse breaker and snake crusher would come from the woman's offspring. God continued speaking throughout the book of Genesis. In Genesis 6, God spoke to Noah in the midst of a wicked generation and told Noah to build an ark of salvation that would save his family and the creatures with him from the waters of judgment. In chapter 9, once the flood receded, God spoke his covenant of blessing to Noah and his descendants, promising not to cover the earth with water again. In Genesis 12, God spoke to Abram in the land of Ur, calling him out of his father's house and leading he and his wife to a land they did not know. God made a covenant with Abram, now Abraham, that his offspring would be as numerous as the sands and the stars, and that through Abraham's line, the whole world would be blessed. In Genesis 26, God spoke to Isaac and reaffirmed that he was the faithful God of Abraham and he would be Isaac's God as well. In Genesis 28 and 32, God spoke to Jacob and promised blessing to him, reaffirming that his covenant with Abraham would continue through Jacob and his offspring. God spoke to the patriarchs as a faithful king, making promises to his vassals, calling for their obedience and their trust. After Jacob's family left their land of promise and traveled to Egypt to find provision during a time of famine under the hand and gracious care of Joseph, that little tribe grew to almost 2 million people who eventually were bound under the yoke of slavery. And they lifted their voices to God in in anguish and God heard and God responded. Exodus 3, we read this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro and the the priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God calls Moses, the fugitive former prince of Egypt to return to the house of Pharaoh and speak in Yahweh's name. Part of that commission was the promise that Moses would return with the people and worship Yahweh on that very mountain, Mount Horeb or as some, as it is sometimes known Mount Sinai. And just as the Lord proclaimed in this commission to Moses, so it happened. Pharaoh would not relent. God performed incredible signs and wonders through Moses. And at last, the people of God were released from bondage, given plunder by their Egyptian neighbors and sent away. When Pharaoh pursued them into the sea, God miraculously drowned he and his entire army in the crushing waters. Now, within days and weeks of this miraculous rescue, the children of Israel were murmuring and complaining against Moses about not having fresh food. God heard the cries and provided manna, bread from heaven, as much as they needed. When they quarreled with Moses about not having enough water by God's command, God struck a rock and fresh water flowed from it. That place he named Meribah and Massah because it was a place of quarreling and testing. We'll come back to that in a moment. Then after three months in the desert, the people of God came to the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, fulfilling God's promise to Moses from Exodus 3. And here's where we pick up then in Exodus 19. Exodus 19, starting in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, so three months, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples." for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So God tells the people through Moses that he is making them his treasured possession, his particular people. Now in verses 7 through 15, he gives instructions. He says, in three days, I'm going to come down to the mountain and speak. Consecrate yourselves uh, devote yourselves to the Lord, make yourselves holy, purify yourselves so that you're ready. But when the time comes, not one of you should set foot on the mountain for when you do, you shall be put to death. It is a holy place because God is there. You cannot come near. So they consecrated themselves and then verse 16, on the morning of the third day, There were thunders, lightnings, a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And at the sound of the Trump, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Again, the Lord warns Moses in these next few verses, don't let them come up on the mountain. Don't even bring the family priests up on the mountain. This is before the priesthood of Levi was established. So don't even let the priests come up on the mountain, just you and Aaron. Verse 24, the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests or the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them.
1: Then Exodus 20, verse one, and
0: God spoke to All these words to who? To the people, the congregation. All of Israel stood before the mountain of fire and smoke and thunder. And out of the fire and smoke and thunder they heard. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity upon the fathers of the children to the third, of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. Honor, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you uh, within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Thus the Lord spoke from the top of the mountain to the people of Israel. Picture yourself there, looking up at the mountain, seeing the fire, the smoke, hearing the thunder and the trumpet and the voice of God making
1: demands of you. How do you feel? How do you respond? How do the people respond?
0: Verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, to the thick darkness where God was. When confronted by the magnitude of God's power displayed in the terrors of the mountain, the people realized that seeing God face to face, that coming near to God would destroy them. They needed a go between, they needed someone to go for them. They begged Moses, please. Go, you speak to us from God. We can't bear him ourselves. So Moses became their mediator. Moses spoke to the people on behalf of God, giving giving them his word. And he speaks to God on behalf of the people. On more than one occasion, Moses offers to lay down his life as a substitute to bear the guilt of these wayward Israelites. He leads them for 40 years. As that entire Red Sea generation dies in the wilderness because of unbelief, their children and their grandchildren now stand on the brink of entering the promised land 40 years later, and Moses starts to give them the law again. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is. It means second law. Moses is telling the second generation of Israel what God has done for them, how he has led them through the wilderness. Look now to Deuteronomy chapter four. As Moses retells them
1: this story from the foot of Sinai. Deuteronomy chapter four, starting in verse nine.
0: He says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Notice he speaks to these people as if they were the ones still there because the promise that was made to their fathers still applies to them. The covenant made with them by God through the law carries down to them. So it is as if they themselves were there at the foot of the mountain. He says, make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day you stood before Yahweh, your God at Horeb, Yahweh said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded to you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves." in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things the Lord your God has allotted to the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to be a people for his own inheritance as you are this day. Skip down to verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of the heaven to the other, whether such a great thing has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh, the Lord, is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt, but with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord Yahweh is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that, I may go, that, it, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. He emphasizes, was there any other God who spoke to his people, who came down and spoke to his people, let them hear his voice? and gave them his word, gave them his law. There is no other God but ours, and he has spoken. And people of God, he has spoken to you, and he has given you his word. Heed his commands. Fear him, honor him, love and obey him. These are the commands he gave to the generation that was about to enter the promised land. Of all the generation that preceded them, only two would set foot in the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses himself was not allowed because of his own sin. it was not allowed to enter into the promised land. And so he said, as he was about to send them forward under the leadership of Joshua, he told them there would be someone else who would come after him to lead them. He mentions that person in Deuteronomy 18. Let's let's look there. Uh, Excuse me, Deuteronomy. uh, Actually, before we do that, Sorry, I I skipped the point. Before we go there, real quick. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Deuteronomy 8. Sorry about that. (laughs) As he's teaching, he says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply. Go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what it was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He made them hunger. He caused them to hunger. Why? So that they would trust in manna? No. So they would trust in the God who gives them manna. They would trust in the God who gives them water, the God who gives them quail, the God who gives them a cloud by day and a fire by night to guide them and protect them. God led his people by the hand through the wilderness so that they would trust in him. They would trust his voice. As I said, Moses was not going to go with them. So in chapter 18 then of Deuteronomy, Moses tells them who to look for. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor see this great fire any more lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of another God, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken. Well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that's a word that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken it presumptuos- presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So God gives instructions uh, uh, through Moses to tell the people, there's another one coming. God, has, God is bringing you another prophet like me. And he will speak to you what God gives him. And you are to heed his words. And if you do not heed his words you will be held accountable for it
1: pin 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 that up for later we're coming back to that soon
0: so again this is uh, i know this isn't isn't my normal this isn't the normal sermon that we do but i want you to see the big picture blame this on our sunday school series this year as we've looked at the big picture of the bible reading it chronologically but you need to see this you need to see the whole story God has spoken from the very beginning. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke to the patriarchs. He spoke to his people and he keeps speaking over and over and over. And he's still speaking. So after the children of Israel uh, uh, enter the promised land, we're going to go faster. I promise. They enter and settle in the promised land and then fall into idolatry and sin in the period of the judges. They're harassed by the nations they should have defeated. And when they cry out for God's mercy, he sends judges to lead them and rescue them from their enemies. God speaks to the prophet Samuel, who would eventually anoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. God speaks to David, making a covenant with him in his house forever. We're going to hear about that next week, Lord willing. God also speaks to David's son Solomon through his dreams. Now at this point, as we're, as we're thinking of David, we're going pa- to pause here and jump into Psalm 95. Real quick. You don't even have to turn there, but you're welcome to turn there. Psalm 95. We don't know who wrote it exactly, but it's, it may well have been David who wrote it. But here we see a connection from Israel's past to Israel's present. Psalm 95 says this. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord, Yahweh, is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah or as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. Referencing back to Exodus 17, before Sinai at Meribah and Massah, when the people grumbled and, and complained against Moses and complained against God by extension because they didn't have what they thought they needed, even though God had just rescued them out of the house of slavery. He says, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did because those who hardened their hearts did not enter God's rest. Pull, pull that thread in. We're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna tie it all in later. So, because of the sins of Solomon, the king, and his son Rehoboam, the kingdom of Israel was divided into north and south. Many kings ruled over God's people, a few of them good, but most of them pretty bad. During the period of the divided kingdom and the exile periods that followed, God still spoke to his people, this time through his prophets, who often delivered God's word of warning and judgment to his people to call them away from self-destruction. The prophets took on the role of prosecutors holding up the standard of the law of moses and showing how israel had broken covenant with god and fallen short of his commands these prophets warned of the consequences stipulated in the law but often with a promise that god would forgive and restore his wayward people that restoration would ultimately come through the ministry of the uh, of the anointed messiah the suffering servant of god the descendant of david who would once again be a shepherd to his sheep in Israel. And while the prophets warned of various judgments and calamities that God would bring against Israel and Judah because of their great sin, from natural disasters to foreign invasions, there was one judgment in particular that was described by the prophet Amos that would be particularly devastating. This is what we see in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. Because the people of God had scorned the word of the Lord in the law of Moses and in the mouths of the prophets, God would take away his word from them. He would make them hunger for revelation. So that they would desire him and they would desire to hear from him again. And after the last prophet Malachi penned his final words, the famine hit in full. And there were 400 years of prophetic silence from heaven. There was no new word, no new revelation. And then after 400 years of darkness, a new Genesis. which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son the son of God and son of man, born of a virgin, born under the law, fulfilled a fulfillment of old Testament prophecy. The promised Messiah arrived full of grace and truth. And in Jesus earthly ministry, he fulfilled the prophecy of Moses too, for he was the prophet like Moses who would come from their brothers, whose word in whose mouth God put his own words. There are several reasons why Jesus stands out as a true and better version of Moses. This has been discussed by theologians and teachers before, but I'll just point out three for you. Number one, Jesus taught the people with authority and he brought the word of God to them like Moses did. We see this actually in Matthew chapter five. Remember Matthew five, the sermon on the mount. How does it begin? I'll read. I'll just read the verse to you. Matthew chapter five, verse one. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. Matthew is giving us an image of Jesus that should remind us of Moses as the one who went on the mountain and then brought down the words of God to the people. Jesus sat on the mountain and taught his people the word of God. And he did so with authority that not even the scribes or teachers of law possessed. That's what the people commented at the end of chapter seven, at the end of the sermon on the Mount, they were astonished by his teaching because he taught with authority. He taught as one whose words you should not disregard. Secondly, Jesus as the true and better. Moses gave the people the food and the drink that they needed. In John chapter six, the day after the feeding of the 5,000, when the crowds demanded more miraculous bread, they cited Moses and said, Moses gave our fathers bread from heaven. Jesus said that he himself is the bread come down from heaven. He is the bread of life and that those who eat of his flesh will never hunger. Most of the crowd turned away in frustration and disgust at Jesus's metaphor. He asked his disciples if they would leave too. How did Peter respond? Where else will we go? You alone have the words of life, the true bread. He made them hunger so they they would learn not to live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the next chapter, John 7, during the Feast of Booths, which by the way, celebrates the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. Jesus stood and called out in a loud voice that all who thirst should come to him. And if they drink of his water, they will have living water flowing up from themselves. This is a promise he made a few chapters earlier, actually, or to uh, the woman at the well, that he would give her water that would always satisfy. Jesus gave the people food and drink they truly needed. Finally, as the true and better Moses, Jesus stood in the place of his people. On many occasions, as I said, Moses stood before God as a representative of Israel, even at times offering to sacrifice himself for their sake. Jesus, the true and better Moses, came to earth and took on flesh for the very purpose of laying his life down as a sacrifice for those whom he would save. Like the perfect spotless lamb demanded by the law of Moses to atone for sin, Jesus walked up another mountain called Calvary. And there he gave himself up as the perfect sacrifice on behalf of sinners taking their guilt upon himself offering up his life's blood as the figurative covering over the doorpost so that his people would be spared the angel of death Jesus was a prophet like Moses who was the, the prophet like Moses who was to come This is actually affirmed uh, I'm not just making that up that's affirmed by the apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3 uh, Acts chapter three, just after Peter and John healed the lame man at the temple, Peter speaks on Solomon's portico. And this is what he says. Acts chapter three, starting in verse 17. Peter says, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the, all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him have proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God having raised up his servant sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus Christ, the prophet like Moses, the suffering servant, the anointed Messiah the offspring of Eve, who would crush the head of the serpent and silence his lying voice forever. Jesus, the son of God, spoke the very words of God. The entire Old Testament is a record of God speaking to his people that culminates in the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. That's how the writer of Hebrews summarizes it. And Hebrews is where we're going to Land here. So let's turn to Hebrews 1, first of all. Hebrews chapter 1. God spoke in the beginning. He spoke to his people, he spoke to his kings, he spoke to his prophets. Hebrews 1 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much, more, as, as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs the God of the universe, the God who is, has spoken emphatically and unmistakably through his word and finally fully in the person of the the word himself, the eternal son of God, the second member of the triune Godhead to whom the scriptures testify. But see, here's where that elephant analogy breaks down more. An elephant, even a talking one, is an interesting concept for contemplation, but it makes no claim on our lives. But the very God who creates and sustains us does. He has made us and we are his. So when this creator God speaks, we are rightly bound by what he says. As Moses prophesied, all who hear Jesus's words and disregard him are held to account. And the reason is because he is God himself. So let's turn a few uh, page over to Hebrews chapter three. As we do, I want to make my final appeal from this passage. If you take nothing else away from this sermon, I want you to hear this again today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's look at these words together, and and I'll give you uh, some final considerations after that. Now, this, what I'm about to read, it's a little bit longer. You're saying, oh, really, Dave? Yes, it's a little bit longer than what we've read already. But I want you to see the full context. So if you need to, just listen. Hebrews 3. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house indeed if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses, and with whom he was provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us Fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as "As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, yet he has somewhere spoken of, of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account.
1: God has spoken.
0: And the great danger facing you, my friend, is that you may hear God's voice and still harden your heart. You can harden your heart in a few different ways. I'll give you three. We'll close. You might harden your heart in denial and rebellion. This morning, you've heard the word of God spoken and read and sung, but you don't believe it. You refuse to believe it. Believing this word will cost you too dearly. It demands too much perhaps believing this word is associated in your mind with hurt and pain and the betrayal of others for whatever your reasons you have hardened your heart against the call of god and the word of christ you've decided you will find your own way you will chart your own course you will be your own master you're only even here today because of tradition or obligation or your parents or someone else who's asked you to be here Friend, if this is your mind and heart this morning, hear the words of the text like a warning bell. You are in grave danger of making a shipwreck of your life. You may continue on for a while thinking everything's fine, pursuing your own goals and desires and fleshly instincts, but there will come a day when you must answer to the one whom God appointed, of whom he has given assurance of his authority by raising him from the dead. Rebel, if you can still hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Repent of your sins and fly to Jesus, who will happily receive you and redeem you. You might also harden your heart because of indifference. It's not that you outright disbelieve the gospel. It's that the gospel doesn't really mean that much to you. I mean, you recognize, okay, God is real. Okay, he speaks. But it's just some good information to go on the shelf with everything else, right? Religious beliefs are fine and all, but we live in the real world. How does this actually translate to my job or my marriage or my finals or my career uh, ahead of me as a student, my dating life? Does this really make a difference in how I live? Some of us, through lack of attention, fall into this swamp of indifference. We show up here on Sundays, we go through the motions. We go home, we turn on the TV, we move on with our week. There's a clear wall of separation between church and life. We become divided men and women. The very definition of a hypocrite. Play acting at Christianity when the crowd around us approves of it, but casting off our masks when it suits otherwise. If you continue in this course, there may come a day when you stop bothering with the mask of Christian at all. Because the reality of your life will be disobedience and disregard for the things of God. And by doing this, you will demonstrate that you were never truly born again to begin with. But instead, you will be satisfied to be a very moral and upstanding (laughs) sinner. My friend, if you can hear his voice, I beg of you, do not harden your heart. Throw off your indifference to Christ and consider again, consider anew your sin. As you stand before that mountain, as you hear the commands of God delivered to you and you recognize my life does not live up to those commands, I have fallen short of the glory of God. I need a mediator lest I die. That's what Jesus is for you, my friend. He is the one who stands between you and the wrath of God. He is the one who will bring God's word to you and who will carry you before God covered in his blood if you will repent and believe in him. Finally, you might harden your heart in religious pride. This was the trap of the Pharisees who searched the scriptures constantly, thinking that in knowing the scriptures, they would have life. Yet they refused the one of whom the scriptures uh, testified. Friend, you may have spent the last half hour thinking of all the better ways I could have been handling the text. And there are many. Or the levels of systematic theology that you've studied on this subject. Or the various apologetic and theological concepts involved. You may have become, you you may be so wrapped up and entangled in your intellectual theological pursuits that you can't even hear the voice of God anymore. Your religious robes have become a shroud to smother you. Now hear me, friend. I don't, I don't judge you. I am you. And all of these things, all these, this theological teaching and these concepts, they're all good things. But if we are so lost in our abstractions and our interpretive grids that we cannot hear the voice of God in the scriptures, we will harden our hearts. We will become cold, severe, stony people serving a threatening marble idol of what we think God is. Today, dear ones, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Turn and do the works you did at first. Sit at your master's feet, take his yoke upon you and learn from him for he is gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Yahweh, the creator God of creation, the king of all the earth, has spoken. He has declared judgment on all sin, and he has offered a means of finding salvation from his just wrath through repentance and faith in Jesus, the eternal son, and the mediator between God and man. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Run to your mediator, Jesus, and live. Let's pray. Lord God, I don't know the state of the heart of of anyone in here, honestly, truly. But I know my own heart.
1: And I know that... There is always a danger of becoming
0: so hardened and distracted and indifferent and thoroughly convinced of my own rightness that I stop hearing you and I, I don't want that. And I pray for those here who maybe have never been born again. Either they've convinced themselves that they're okay or they don't care. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would grasp us by the scruff of the neck and shake us and say, turn before it's too late. In your mercy, Father, do not let us harden our hearts. As a congregation, do not let us harden our hearts. Give us new hearts, hearts of flesh to replace
1: hearts of stone. Take us to the foot
0: of the mountain so that we would tremble before your voice and throw all of our hope in the mediator you have provided who will bear our guilt, our wrath upon himself. Give us his righteousness so that we can stand confidently before the throne, not of judgment, but of grace.
1: Lord, you are good your mercy endures forever be merciful to us now we pray in the name of our mediator jesus amen